This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. As you can see, I have a new and huge project looming behind me that'll probably be reflecting throughout the episode, but uh, nothing on that anytime soon. Uh, I'm going to be having crews over at some point to help me discharge that tube and start work on it, but that'll end up in a video months from now. Um, I want to just take my time with that thing and do it right. And unfortunately, the only way to do that is by having that huge thing in the middle of my apartment now. So <laughs> expect to see it for at least a couple of weekly roundups and Q&As from now on. But uh, anyway, let's jump right into the news. Well, first up, the PC Engine TurboGrafx-16 video is finally out there. Um, this video was a nightmare to shoot, not because of anything in specific, just because every time I got one step further, something else would go wrong. So uh, sometimes it had to do with the consoles I was using, sometimes it had to do with my own equipment, um, and sometimes it was just things that, I, the same problem I've had with a lot of my videos, I'm just finally trying to put my foot down and say, nope, I'm not going to do that again, I'm going to fix that before it goes up. So I really hope people enjoyed it. Um, I really hope it gets a lot of hits because I spent a ridiculous amount of time on it. Um, and also, I was thinking of doing something like uh, maybe grabbing a friend and doing a play-by-play -play of it and kind of talking about uh, some of the comments and some of the questions that people had in the comments about certain parts of the video, which were mostly positive, shockingly, uh, as well as some of the behind-the-scenes stuff of like, look at this, this is that part that... So, I don't know, let me know in the comments if you're interested. Um, it's something I could do very easily that wouldn't take away from any of the other stuff I'm working on, which is a lot. So, uh, I think it'd be fun to do as long as it's something that at least a few people wanted to hear. But, please let me know. It looks like a project was just started to implement an FPGA Game Boy Core into its own original hardware. And while we already have Mr. Support that's pretty good, I like to see people branch out and do different and unique things, as long as they're not trying to do the same thing everybody else is doing. Uh, if the goal is just to create a Game Boy Core, you might as well just start helping out with the Mr. Project. But it doesn't sound like that's what this is. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where it could go. And I really hope that this starts to catch on with more people, because there's many different areas in both the Mr. Project as well as other FPGA development that the more the merrier. Uh, I'd love to see certain things ported over, support for certain devices and things like that. So it's cool to see these projects taking off. Bordy has just updated the firmware for his N64 Advanced Project to support Line 3 mode, 720p mode, for NTSC consoles. And I think that's a pretty awesome accomplishment. Um, this project's starting to get closer and closer to the Ultra HDMI, and even implements a lot of the same deblur stuff that it has. 
So uh, it's pretty exciting for N64 fans. Bordy still also has the other project, which is similar to Tim Worthington's N64 RGB, which is more of just a straightforward RGB output that's able to be installed in any Nintendo 64. So that one's cool for people that just want straight RGB and don't need anything else. And the N64 Advanced is for people that want things like native component video output, uh, VGA output, and now both 480p and 720p output. So uh, a pretty awesome accomplishment, and thanks very much to Bordy for all of his work. A team of people from Concordia University in Montreal, including Ace, took a Sega Genesis and tore it down to analyze the component video mod that was installed inside it. It's pretty cool to see university projects um, implementing some kind of retro gaming hardware in there, both because it's fun and because there's a lot of interesting stuff that could be learned from it, even from a board design point of view, and with the Sega stuff, a what not to do for board design. Uh, some pretty beginner mistakes that I, even I've found over the years. Um, but I guess the purpose was just to learn more about the hardware and whatever this mod board was. So I'm really looking forward to what else the, the team does and anything else they could find. Um, and it's very cool to see Ace working on projects like this because I still to this day ask him questions sometimes. Um, and even though as long as I've been doing this and as many motherboard revisions as I've checked out, uh, he's still one of the go-to people in my opinion for Sega Genesis experts. So, uh, you know, awesome to see this. Keep up the good work and I'll let everybody know if there's another cool project that's been publicized like this. Last week, the Nintendo Direct video was posted with a bunch of pretty cool updates. I think every YouTuber and blog on the planet has harped on this, so I'm only going to take a brief second to mention things. Uh, but the biggest one was the Link's Awakening remake is coming to the Switch in 2019, with a pretty cool art style and uh, a 2.5D perspective in some of the places. And I think it's very cool. I love it. Um, you know, a lot of people didn't like it, but this is all a matter of preference. I didn't like the Wind Waker artwork. I know a lot of people want to backhand me when I say that, but for me personally, it didn't feel like a Zelda game. It felt like a cartoon. Um, but I think this looks really cool. So I'm sure there's going to be people that love it and hate it, but the bottom line for me is I would really like to see more love for some of the really, really high-quality handheld games that were made. Pretty much all of the Zeldas, the Metroids. Um, I wouldn't like to just see emulation ports. I would like to see them redone. And I would really love to see that with, like, Zero Mission. Not just a direct port, but something with, you know, enhanced graphics and all that stuff. So I guess let's all buy Link's Awakening this year, and hopefully Nintendo will realize that they need to do more things like this. Because as any of us that play retro games know... Uh, just because something's new or old doesn't make it good or bad. An amazing game will almost always stay an amazing game, regardless of what's come after it. Uh, and, I, and in fact, in my personal opinion, the only times that's not true is for games like Metroid versus Zero Mission. Once again, just opinion. I'm sure a lot of people are getting pissed hearing that. But when Metroid came out, I thought it was amazing. Just mind-blowing. Open world and all that stuff. But, you know, just the remake is better. So hopefully we'll see that with more games, and uh, Nintendo certainly has the power um, and the intellectual property to do it with. So let's all cross our fingers and, and hope that, uh, that we get to see more of these and that they're good quality. Part 2 of What Happened to Paprium was just posted, uh, and it's just another look into a weird and unfortunate situation. And, you know, stuff like this is going to happen. I just really hope this doesn't take away from other projects. I hope that people don't see new and upcoming retro games and say, oh, you know, I'm not going to buy that because that's going to be, you know, just another Paprium. 
In fact, maybe it's going to become an adjective. Don't paprium that. Make sure you get it out on time. <laughs> but hey, um, you know, it, there's plenty of, of new retro coming out that's awesome, that's made by reputable places. And, you know, it might not be your favorite game, but you could certainly not argue with the fact that they're well-made games. So like uh, Tanglewood's the example I always use. That that style of game might not be for everybody, the side-scrolling puzzle adventure thing. I, I liked it, but I get that not everybody would, but I don't think anybody would say that that was a, anything other than a really well-made game. And there's a few of those in production now that are being worked on. So I guess let's just remember that let's not let this take away from the others. And it's still kind of a bizarre story. So um, yeah, I'm going to enjoy watching the rest of that video. I haven't finished it yet, but man... Wes from Second Opinion Games has just contributed another really great page to the site, and I think this may even have stemmed from a very nagging conversation I had with him last year. Um, I wanted to know how you could find the right screens and the best screens for things like the 3DS, the new 3DS, um, what was IPS, why does that matter, why are some of the screens yellow, and, uh, and Wes very patiently went through it all with me last year. So uh, th now he finally just went in and did a full write-up about it. Uh, so now he never has to answer those questions again. He could just uh, point people right here. But I thought that was really cool. I thought it was great to be able to, to see examples of what to look for, how to find it, and a great explanation as to why some of these screens are different. So if you're looking to buy a 3DS in good condition with the best quality screen, I recommend checking out the article, and uh, I'm really glad to have it up on the site. So thanks again, Wes. Tim Worthington has just announced a new SCART to JAMA adapter called the Red Gun. Um, I'm going to run down its features pretty quick, and then I'm going to get to some discussion and speculation. So uh, you know, feel free to skip if you don't want to hear my thoughts on this, but I'm excited. Um, Here's the different features. It takes composite, S-video, component, and RGB via SCART, and is able to feed them to JAMA. It's automatic switching between inputs, and there's a comb filter on composite to make it look less awful. There's a stereo audio amplifier built in, um, and there's even a controller adapter that's going to be released alongside it. The controller adapter is so that you could do something like use uh, this dongle, plug one into each one of the consoles that you plan on interfacing, daisy chain them together, and now your arcade board uh, will play all of the different consoles. So maybe you have something like a normal stand-up arcade and uh, you open the front, uh, you know, like a front door and there's all your consoles and just turn on whichever one you want and that's it. No swapping controllers, no button mapping. Um, so this is all really exciting and an excellent option, but when I saw this, the first thing I saw to, started to think of is what else could this be used for? Because as you know, <laughs> I've been getting really into CRT modding and how far you can go with all of that. And the one thing that always kind of bugs me is no matter how you look at it, you're using old hardware. So even if you have a CRT with very low hours, um, you know, something that's in good condition, and you do a full cap replacement on the TV, you know, it's still consumer-grade equipment, and it's still old. So maybe the video processors in there were just generic and basic. Maybe that's fine. Maybe so many of them were made at one time that you get high-quality parts on a, you know, on an older, or older meaning, you know, a 2000s-ish era CRT. Maybe it'll look fine, and it does look great going through the jungle chip directly to, you know, through the on-screen display. But what about going directly to the tube? 
And this is something that uh, we discussed on the Retro Roundtable a while back. And I think it was probably Voltar that scoffed at it, like, oh, you know, the only way you'd ever want to do that is an arcade-like scenario where you have one console or one arcade board hooked up because then you'd have to recalibrate it for each. You'd need a full interface if you wanted to do something like that. Well, I think this might be that. I, um, you know, I haven't spoken to Tim about it yet. I haven't talked to Tim in a while, actually. I should probably just email to say hello. But uh, in, in all honesty, you know, what, what else could we add to this? What kind of tweaking could we add? Um, or does it need any to make it possible so that you just take, you find yourself a pretty good quality CRT with low hours, something with maybe just RF input or composite, and you don't even RGB mod it. You just take the connections directly to the tube, um, and you'd probably want to keep the power supply that's in there, as provided it's still working all right, and then just wire this into it. Would it be more or less work? Would it get you better, worse, or the same video quality as going through the on-screen display? Now, I have a million questions about this, and I can't wait to start trying it out myself. So any experts, any people that understand video circuits and how, how things are integrated into CRTs, it would be great if you could comment down below or, or anywhere, actually, you know, on uh, any one of the, the threads that's being opened up because of this. And I, I just, is it feasible to use this? Uh, to drive a consumer-grade CRT to make it higher quality? Uh, am I just completely not getting the point of this? Because I do understand it's designed for JAMA, and I do think that a lot of people will buy this for that, but I'm wondering how many more people would be interested if we could, you know, gut crappy consumer-grade TVs, stick this thing in its place, and go from there. So I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts. Um, I think the, the probably the best place to talk about it is the shmups thread where Tim uh, announced this. But comment down below, comment Discord, wherever else. I'd love to hear from people's thoughts about this because I'm pretty excited about what it could do as well as what it definitely will be able to do, um, the JAMA interface and uh, the controller sharing thing. A previously unreleased beta of Sonic 2 was just dumped, and while it's certainly nothing groundbreaking, it's pretty neat to see the game that's uh, known so well, so close to release, but not quite there. Things like signposts for save areas are missing, and uh, a few spots were even game-breaking glitches, like uh, this one with the moving platforms where it wasn't moving, so you can't get past this part of the stage. So, um, you know, it's certainly nothing drastic and, uh, you know, nothing to, to rush home and try it about. I do enjoy seeing glimpses into development like this, and especially with games so amazingly popular and games that might even be people's favorite of that series. I know a ton of people whose favorite Sonic game is Sonic 2, so if you're one of those, or if you're just curious, definitely try out the ROM and give it a go. Terra Onion announced that the Neo SD Pro AES versions will be shipping this week, and they're going to come with two inserts, one in English and one in Japanese, so collectors could choose whichever one they prefer. And I think that's awesome. Uh, my personal opinion is as long as it works good, I don't really care how it looks, but it's nice if it looks cool. Um, you know, it's, I, I try not to be vain about stuff like that. I'm not a collector at heart. I'm more of a gamer and more of a tech nerd than a gamer, to be honest with you. But if I have the choice between buying something that works perfect or buying something that works perfect and looks cool, I'm going to take that one. So uh, it's very cool that they put the efforts into, um, into making this look good. And I'm looking forward to trying it out when it's released, as well as a bunch of the other solutions that are coming out. So uh, very cool. Tim Worthington updated all of the NES RGB color palette files to be compatible with the brand new version 2.0. 
So that's pretty exciting because um, anybody that had a preference for any of the work that Firebrand X or Naked Arthur or a few other people had done, um, now you still have all the original choices you had from all of the remaining SRGB units just on any of the newer ones as well. Um, all of those could be downloaded from Firebrand X's website. And for me personally, my favorite choices were always the Firebrand X Smooth, um, Naked Arthur's Wave Beam, and the Sony CXA palette. Uh, I was told that the YUV palette looks more accurate to what people would see on PAL TVs, uh, so composite video through a PAL TV, uh, but I, I got nothing on that one. Sorry, I really have no experience with the PAL stuff. Um, one other kind of weird thing was I guess there was a, a bunch of discussion going back and forth about the de-jitter mod and how some people wanted it toggled and uh, other people wanted to have a firmware with it off. I believe Tim said he would, <coughs> excuse me, he would look into solving that one way or another. Maybe you could install a switch. Maybe it'd be a, a firmware update for it. But I, um, I didn't appreciate the attitude a lot of people had about this. Um, and you know, not to start a fight or be disrespectful, but the bottom line is, if enough customers want something that's within reason to achieve, just say yes. You know, no reason to harp on those people. But there is another reason for it, and it's. Uh, it's really to go along with the whole debate of will the degener mod affect runs for professional speedrunners, uh, people who really microseconds make the difference. And the, the technical argument uh, against it, saying that you don't need to disable the degener mod, is actually true in that the tolerance between your average handful of units is quite a bit. Um, I, the reason is that a lot of these components used in these consoles were 5% or even 20% tolerance or higher. Whereas when you do a lot of these RGB mods and things that, um, you know, that you do nowadays, you generally use 1% tolerant components, at least for resistors. Uh, and I try to aim for 5% for capacitors, but it's not as big a deal. But the bottom line is, I've seen a few consoles lined up that perform differently. And my favorite misinterpretation of this is the people that said Star Fox runs slower on a one-chip or mini than does on the original SNES consoles. Um, and that is a complete internet myth. That, was, that originated from somebody who only tested two consoles, one original and one mini. Um, and I believe the capture methods they use had a, a margin of error of at least one frame anyway. So that right off the bat, not only is that untrue, I've, I've done a little bit of work testing it myself. Uh, I took all the same model revision one chip. Um, I put, you know, and I, I did some testing, which did have some margin of error, but not too much, and let it run long enough, and each console ran at a different speed. That, I believe, was, and I think I'm a little out of my, my scope here, that, I believe, was because Star Fox, the speed of Star Fox is uh, through the FX chip, which the faster it gets, the faster the game goes. So that's why when you overclock Star Fox, you don't just get the same speed of game with a better frame rate, the whole game speeds up. So it's, I think it's gonna be pretty similar with things like speedrunning, where if you took 10 Nintendo consoles uh, and you, you, know, you ran the same, maybe the same attract screen over and over for a week, each one would be at a different position at the end of that week, even if you somehow hypothetically powered them all up at the exact same moment. Um, and, you know, I think one of the great questions is, is that more of a difference than the degenerate mod would be? Is that going to be more of a, um, a margin of difference than degenerate on or off? 
And I think that's a great question, and that's certainly something I would really like to test. And for speedrunners, that also brings up another question of, if I took an original console and replaced every single resistor with you know, 0.1% tolerance parts and every single capacitor with 1% or 5% tolerant parts, and maybe even replaced the crystal with the exact same one, but just a higher uh, tolerance, would, would that give me an advantage or a disadvantage? Because technically speaking, you'd have a tighter uh, run each time, you know, in microseconds now. So it's pretty interesting to see the different things that could affect all this. But the bottom line is, you know, for the people who get, for whatever reason, upset about this, if people want it, just give it to them. You know, it's, it's, there's nothing bad could come of it, as long as it's within reason. I would never ask Tim to redo the design, but if it turns out that he could just uh, write another firmware, won't take too long, definitely go for it. And same with things like the upcoming SNES mods. If it's easy to do, to have a switchable D-jitter, cool. I'd love to see that, even if it's just for things like testing to prove it right or wrong. If it's complicated, I wouldn't ask anybody to waste their time, but, um, you know, uh, being the middleman for a lot of technical stuff, it's funny to see both sides of it. You know, I completely see and work with developers all the time, and I also see the, the sales people side of things, so I can completely understand how uh, tech developers might might be thinking like, you know what the heck, why would you want that that doesn't matter? And people on the other side are saying, well, it might, so can I just have it? But anyway, rant over. Um, I totally get off topic of the NES RGB color palette stuff, and I probably went too long. Sorry, everybody. Well, that's it for this week. As always, I have to thank all of my supporters for making this happen, because if it wasn't for your help, so many of these things wouldn't be able to be finished, and there's a lot more really cool stuff coming this year. Uh, I'm working on a project now that I'm hoping to be out this week, we all know how that goes though, uh, that I think might be a game changer for certain content creators, and I have a few other things in the works that might at the very least be cool for people to see. So uh, thank you to all my supporters, thanks to everybody that watches and comments, and I'll see you guys next week.